making the decision that he did, and that landed him in jail. Um, there's another case that's going on that the first of the people were sentenced, but in a, in a Mennonite community, um, they were basically shunning some people, and they cut off their hair um, saying that, you know, you are not living as we are anymore, and so you cannot be a part of this. Uh, some of the people that were a part of that are going to go to jail for up to 15 years. Now, it's considered a hate crime, and um, yet I look at it and I'm going, no lasting physical damage, no destruction of life, and yet pretty significant judgment against. And, you know, I, I chew on it, and I'm going, okay, so in this congregation, say one of us pastors, say myself, had um, started living in adultery and chose not to step out of it or took on a gay lover, <laughs> said, I'm not doing anything different. I'm going to live this way. And the church at some point says, no, we don't accept this. And so they, they would send me out. Would that be a hate crime? You know, those, those lines are beginning to be much more um, blurry, so to speak, or, or I guess you could say more defined even, because th that, there's that question of what rights do we have as Christians to make these declarations? So I'm watching that and, and just going, I don't like where this is headed, but um, at the same time, it's not affecting me directly at the moment, but I see the potential for it. And I see, to my opinion, more and more judgments made that way. I mean, assisting that the Catholic Church is in their hospitals uh, provide abortion care or, or abortion coverage for their employees uh, to me is very invasive. Uh, why, why should they have to do that? Um, now it hasn't, it hasn't landed at our doorstep, but that's, that's not something that we should be saying, well, it doesn't matter then because it's not touching our lives directly. But we're looking at this and saying, our government apparently is becoming more adversarial in regard to its relationship to Christianity. That said, when I read the Great Commission out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it doesn't say anything about backing off in our witness. It's, in fact, the idea is given, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me and basically, he's making a declaration and says, you know what? God's delegated this to me. He's handed it over. He's given me the right to make the calls. And so what's the first call he makes out of this? Go make disciples. He says, I want you to be assertive in regard to your faith. And so he places the responsibility upon our lives to be participant and witness and seeing people into transformation. So as, as that declaration's been made, and, and you come to Christ, and you embrace that he wants to transform your life, and, 
and there is a lot of good that comes into it. You know, you exchange your sin and guilt and fears for his peace and joy and love, and you have this transformation of life, but you also have to acknowledge that as you step into that, you are also embracing this call that says, it's not all about me and just making me feel better, but I have a responsibility for other people. That part of my salvation or part of my call into obedience with him says that I have a responsibility for others. Yet even in this, even in this call and his declaration that I will be with you to the end of the age, you know, that I'm not going to leave you, not going to abandon you, I'm going to be sustaining you in life. There's a recognition that for him, he had already walked through crucifixion, and his disciples were going to be walking into trouble, that it wasn't popular with the culture. Nevertheless, he's calling them to that act. The other part of this that I think Christians wrestle with is once you embrace this, this call, there's a sense of there are so many lost people that I don't know what to do. It, 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 it breaks my heart when I look all around me and I realize that there are people not serving God. There are people that are at, under the wrath of God and have, uh, if they fail to make relationship with him right and fail to uh, participate in salvation, their lives are charted for hell. And that's a horrible, horrible feeling. And I think at times it's overwhelming and it's like, how can I carry this weight? Well, you aren't asked to do it at all. But you're asked to keep this dialogue open with the Lord so that when you have conversation with people, there is this question of, what would heaven want me to declare right now? What does, what does God want me to be speaking? And, and so as we walk through our day-to-day -day relationships and we have these conversations with, with others, there is this awareness that part of my call is to go make disciples. And so part of what I'm doing is asking God, do you want me to speak a word here? Do you want me to participate in some kind of act that would be honoring of your kingdom? Or, or do you want me to just be quiet right now? And, and you know, what, what are you asking of me? But there's a responsibility within us to keep that dialogue open, so to speak. And that, uh, you know, just that awareness that I am an ambassador of the kingdom of God. I, I'm, I'm one of his representatives. And so in all of my relationships, somehow this is going to have some effect and it's not declaring every day. It might be in some cases. But it, it might be just a timely word. Or it might be, you know, now. Now is the time to say something. And we wrestle with that tension, so to speak. Even though not all the world is going to embrace this. Um, I'd like to read of Jesus' attitude. He, in Matthew 23, it's right near the end of his is of his life or right before the end of the, or the crucifixion. But he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, stone those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you weren't willing. 
Look, your house has left you desolate. He says, I wanted to give to you. I wanted to invest in you. I wanted to protect you. You wouldn't have it. And it, it tears him up when he sees that situation. And yet there's still that need to make declaration. In the, in the 19th chapter of Luke, we get a similar thing. He's, he's heading into Jerusalem for the last time, that final week. And uh, it's what we would associate with Palm Sunday. People are cheering for him and celebrating. And he says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He's going to the, to the cross. He knows that. He's already declared it to the disciples. He knows that death awaits him. And yet he looks and there's a compassion in his heart that just breaks him up inside. He says the days will come. Or he says, excuse me. If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They'll dash you to the ground and you will see the children within your, and you and your children within your walls. They'll not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. There are times when, when we share with family members and there's this ongoing thing where year after year it hasn't changed yet. And yet there's a need to keep declaring and speaking because you see where their lives are headed. You see the destruction that awaits them. In this case, Jesus saw just a few years down the road, A.D. 70, Jerusalem would just be wiped out completely. And what he's declaring happened in detail. But it's this looking and seeing and saying, you know what, unless, unless things get straightened out, their lives are going to be destroyed. Unless things get straightened out, they're going to be cut off short of what their life should be. Unless they make a turn, their destiny is hell. And there's that, that's that sorrow in us. And yet there's that need to just be willing to keep speaking even if it isn't received. They'll dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. Not one stone remain on the other. It says, then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And in this case, it's a violent confrontation. You know, so he's, he's wept over the city. He's, he has this compassion for what's coming. But he just says, what's happening now just isn't right. And in this case, it was a, a straight-on confrontation, even though he knows that this is part of the, the uh, conflict that is going to lead to his death. Paul carried similar things. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, besides everything else, and he'd just gone through a litany of some of the troubles that he'd gone through, he says, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who's weak and I don't feel weak? 
You know, part of the, the, the caring for others is that when there's trouble or difficulty, you feel it too. He says, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all... Okay, who's led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? Who doesn't fall down and it, it just, it gets to me? It's as if, if I had done it myself. He says, there's a pain there with all of that. This is his approach in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He just says there's a lot of people that aren't going to get it because it just looks stupid. For it's written in, and he quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So God said, I'm not going to let the wise just feel like they have one up. He says, that's not important to me. In fact, I'm going to make foolish things look wise. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So he says, pick those that appear to be the most brilliant and realize that most of them don't get it. For since the wisdom of God through the world, through its wisdom, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. He says it doesn't, who would guess that you could preach, you could make declarations of God's goodness and his salvation and people would respond and their lives would be transformed. So is that just, that doesn't seem to make sense. Shouldn't you be teaching them a, a system of discipline? Shouldn't you be teaching them a pattern of wisdom? Shouldn't you be teaching them this is how the world fits? And he says, you know, really, what's the essential thing? That they come to relationship with Christ. He says that, that turns everything on its head. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. So he says, what I came out of is everybody wanted a sign. What I'm in right now, Corinth was in Greece. And so he's going, you know, everybody here wants wisdom. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. You know, we preach God coming to earth and dying. Stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he says, whether they get it or not, Jesus Christ is special beyond all others. And what he has done through his death and resurrection is sufficient for us to have peace with God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. He just makes a declaration, God is much more mighty than any of us. And if he chooses to do things his way, that's his choice. And if he chooses to make it work through something that we say, that shouldn't work, doesn't matter, because he's declared it, it happens. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise, not many were influential, not many of noble birth. 
That seems to be pretty much the way the church runs even today. Not too many brilliant people, not too many influential, not too many noblemen. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and despised things, things that are not, to nullify things that are, so that no one may boast before him. I'd like to read one last passage tonight. This is out of Isaiah chapter 61. And just point out that God has been preparing the declaration of his goodness and made that a part of what he's about for centuries, even centuries before Christ came. This, uh, this passage, I was, I was looking at a, a video of um, testimony in regard to um, some people had been martyred in Turkey just a, a few years ago and the wives were talking about their husbands where some people had come in and had bound them and wanted them to uh, you know say that Christ wasn't real and wanted to deny their faith and they refused to do it and they lost their lives over it and uh, the, man, the one man that had died had written this in his journal the day before he died. And it's out of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release, release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called trees of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. The message that we have brings life. The message that we have has transformed our own lives. Whether it's embraced or not, because authority has been given to Christ and he's declared, go make disciples, there is a responsibility that we care to keep speaking that word no matter where we go. And to be going, Lord, what do you want, declared. Many times, it's not say a word. But other times, it's say, speak, now's the moment. And in that, we have to have the confidence that says, whether it's received or not is not up to me. I'm giving opportunity for the Spirit of God to influence life. And then what I want to embrace is what heaven embraces. And right now, heaven is calling me to make this declaration. Lord, help us to be faithful in that together. Just stand with me. We thank you for your mighty salvation. That has washed away our sin. We confess that understanding the details of why you chose this path and this route through Christ, we don't necessarily understand. And yet we believe that you have established that. And we've had the experience of joy in you and the fullness of your spirit that transforms our lives. Now, Lord, we ask that you would cause us be faithful in the declaration of your word 
in the carrying out of your gospel, in the going and making disciples as you've asked us to do. Guide our steps, we pray. Amen. As is our habit, we're going to leave this in open-ended worship. Just uh, let it go where it will. Bless you.